Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. This is your host, Jack Young. Thanks for tuning in today. We've got a special blessing. We've got Dr. Chuck Harding with us today, and he has been preaching at our missions conference. He is one of our uh, missionaries. He is a missionary to Capitol Hill and all the folks there on the hill, and we know that they do need missionaries, people to care for their souls and influence them uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So welcome to the podcast, Brother Harding. Thank you very much, Brother Young. And Blessing uh, to be here today. And uh, my experience with Brother Harding goes back to 1996. We went to Washington, D.C. for our senior trip, flew from Oklahoma City to Washington, D.C. He was our liaison there, uh, and uh, he was working up there on the Capitol at that time. And Diplomatic Security Service. Yes. At the and State Department. Yes. And so he, man, he, he gave us the royal treatment, rolled out the red carpet. And, uh, and then, and then uh, Brother Harding has been involved in God and Country Ministries since 2004. 18 years, uh, my pastor said, our country's going down the tubes. And you need to pray about a God and Country Ministry. I said, why me? He said, well, because, number one, you know your Bible. Number two, you know the history of our country. Number three, you grew up <clears throat> right outside Washington, D.C. You've worked for the government, and I think that God could use you. Well, I prayed that night, told him the next morning, that's exactly what I believe God has called me to do. Amen. So that night, one night, God gave me the assurance. And, of course, He's given me that assurance many times since. Yes. That it's a calling. A lot of times people say, well, that would be really cool to do. I mean, you know, during this last administration, my mm -hmm. wife and I were attending the vice president's Bible study on a weekly basis for years. Mm -hmm. And going into the White House, people say, wow, that's really neat. I'd like to do that. I said, well, you know, it's not something that you do. It's something that you're called to. Right. And when you're called to it, what does God say? There's a great door in effectual. It's been mm -hmm. opened unto me yeah. so you walk through the door but when you walk through the door you have to also understand there's many adversaries <laughs> right oh yeah so it doesn't come without its so you better so you better attacks. be called better be called and uh well i remember the first time i went uh, to washington dc to one of your uh, one of the organizations that you had and um and i just went with my dad uh tagged along and um walked into an auditorium and there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors from all over. I think all 50 states were represented. I could be wrong. Uh, and uh, you're, you know, Lord, that, that was amazing. And then I looked across and saw different guys who typically don't associate with, with each other whatsoever. Right. They were all there to go out to the hill and minister to their elected official. And I, I thought, wow, this is something special. Because I've been going to meetings my whole life, and I'd never seen anything like that um, going on. And so, you know, Lord has used you. Praise, and we, we praise him for that. Well, it was a miracle. In fact, the very first big event that we had, the question was asked, not of me, not, not from me, <clears throat> but how many of you pastors have had Brother Harding? And hands went up everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, and when the hands went up, the Holy Spirit of God in that still small voice said, this is what I've been having you do these last seven years. Mm -hmm. Crisscross this country and go into one meeting after another, one pastor after another, and show them a biblical necessity and the responsibility for being involved in government. Because I got it, you know, for two and a half years when I first started. Oh, it's not spiritual to be involved in government. Really? Well, um, if it's not spiritual to be involved in government, then who was Joseph in Egypt mm -hmm. and Daniel in Babylon? They were political appointees. Mm -hmm. And then I would get, well, we shouldn't be preaching for those people in leadership or against them. I said, well, then please tell me in the Bible who Samuel was that told King Saul, he's rent the kingdom, mm -hmm. God's rent the kingdom mm -hmm. from you. Or Nathan that told David, thou art the man. Or the interchange and dynamic. John the Baptist saying John to ba Herod, it's yeah. not lawful for you to have your father's wife. Oh, through I the know, Bible. I mean, your brother's wife. Yeah. Uh, Paul before uh, Drusilla and yeah. Yeah, and, and Felix. And even Talking about righteousness of judgment that come. Yeah, yeah, Esther. A woman in the time of bondage walking in to save her entire race mm -hmm. of the Jews. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... The problem is when the people of God 
separate from the people of government. Mm-hmm. That's why we're in the mess we're in right now. And, and I think a big, uh, a big help that you have been is also showed pastors a practical, uh, how practical and easy it is to come in contact with their elected officials. And you've inspired a lot of different uh, men inside their own very own states to do something in their state, which you've been doing in Washington, D.C. And um, It was the first step, second step. And now the third step. First step was, of course, the big events we had in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Second step was to emulate that in state capitals. And the Lord allowed me to, you might say, push that forward. Mm-hmm. The state capital initiative, which is ongoing today in over 30 states. Mm-hmm. And then the third step now is what I call the prayer partnership. Yeah. Where instead of one big event, and those events are still going on, I'm bringing in pastors state by state, sometimes six, sometimes 26. And that is basically a much more intimate type of setting where I can talk with these men, walk Mm -hmm. with them into the offices Mm -hmm. of the senators and congressmen. And of course, with 50 states in the union, 52 weeks in the year, I can do it each week that they're in session and still have two weeks left over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times people say, well, Brother Harding, isn't that kind of a... You know, doesn't that drain you? I say, no, it doesn't drain me. It energizes me because sure. I'm called to this. And when I see pastors come and, and I see that wonder in their eye because they not only go into their senator and congressman's offices, they also, I take them to the Capitol Hill Club. Mm-hmm. That's where the Republican congressmen, the district representatives eat. They sit down and these pastors can actually be a pastor to these people. Mm-hmm. and counsel them, mm-hmm. help them, encourage them, right. pray for them, and uh, develop that relationship of trust. Our uh, our state senator, she knows me. She's been to the church, uh, and I've been up to her office there in Albany, and same with our, um, our house representative. And, in fact, he called me three weeks ago. He's got... Um, He's doing some testing for some cancer. He called for prayer. He wanted me to pray for him. Uh, and then our congressman here, he knows us. He sees us in Washington, D.C. And that's because of uh, your ministry. You have taught pastors like myself how to be in contact with the elected officials. And, you know, there's an influence vacuum there, and it's important for pastors. And it doesn't take much time. It doesn't take much effort. Uh, you know, and I, I try personally, this is what I try to do for myself is go to my state capital at least once a year and then go to my nation's capital at least once a year, uh, and be in those offices. And, um, and, you know, I needed somebody like yourself, uh, just to teach me how to do that. I mean, it's practical, it's simple, it's easy. Uh, and so you're, you're paving the way that in that regard. I give the glory to God, of course, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's wonderful to be used by him. And so Mm -hmm. thank you. Praise the Lord, but but thank you, and and it's been a real honor, and it's been something that has taken on a life of its own, because in no way, shape, or form did I ever envision how far-reaching this this has become, and how many pastors now are so involved, but they're involved in a very well-balanced way, right? Because of course, and as it, Baptists, number one thing for us mm-hmm, is the gospel, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. getting the gospel out. But then when I started, I told guys, look, the number one thing is a spiritual liberty mm-hmm. in the Lord. But the second most important thing should be our civil liberty so we can do Protect, the most important thing. Uh, protecting our liberty so <clears throat> exactly. we can preach the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can have a well-balanced ministry. I'm not a political preacher. I don't get up and preach politics. I don't watch Fox News all week to get my sermons for Sunday yeah. or anything like that. Uh, but we do try to get our people involved uh, in in government, teach them how, teach them that it is their duty before God to vote, uh, and uh, you know, and, and also meet their elected official, pray with their elected official. And we've had you know as many, I think about 20 uh, last time, two years ago, 20, 2020. Uh, but 2019, I think we had about 20 folks that um, were there from our church at, uh, you know, in the Capitol meeting with uh, their their assemblymen and meeting not with their senator, but the senator's chief of staff. Yeah. For some reason, Schumer and Gillibrand just don't uh, want to <laughs> connect. I don't understand that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I understand what, what you mean. I feel your pain. Uh-huh. We have some of those on Capitol Hill, too. Yeah. But, you know, it is so refreshing to understand now that pastors actually get it Mm -hmm. and that they see 
that by going in and praying with these people and developing relationship of trust, they actually are asked in many instances exactly what do you think about this bill mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from a pastor standpoint? Right. Um, Robert Sutton, pastor in Florida, you, I think you know Brother Sutton, mm-hmm. but uh, years ago he asked, I don't know anything about politics. So if there's a pastor tuning in, you know, this is for, for them. Right. And I say, you don't need to know anything about politics. Well, what do I do? I say, you just go in, you start praying with these right. people. You can pray with people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can do that. And that, that is super powerful because up on the hill, everybody wants something. So if you yeah. go in there and oh. say, hey, we just want to let you know we respect you and honor you. We pray for you. We love you in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd like to pray with you. They, they're kind of taken back. They are. They look at you. Are you for real? Yeah. And then if they figure out that you are for real, uh, they'll give you prayer requests. Yeah. Uh, my dad and I, we walked into his congressman's office, and uh, we had an appointment to meet with him. And we had a group of about 15 people from his constituent, or they were all his constituents. Uh, and and uh, the girl that was working the desk, she said, you know what? He had to step out for a family emergency. Uh, now, he heard my dad talking in the back. He came out, he had a ball cap on, T-shirt, and blue jeans, and sneakers on. He had a briefcase in his hand, and he said, Tim, it's so weird that you're here today. My I, my mother just died. Mm. It's so strange that you're here. Uh, and so dad prayed with them, prayed for the family, and prayed for, you know, comfort, peace and comfort. And um, the congressman didn't forget that because next time we were in his office, uh, he reminded my, he's like, you know, you came right when I found out my mother died. Yeah. And it's that spiritual connection. <clears throat> you know, my dad's got a cell phone, and they have texted back and forth, and they've had some major disagreements about different sure, things. But sure. they're gentlemen. They've agreed to disagree on yeah, things. But yeah. there's that influence there. There is. Yeah. And it's remarkable. Those divine appointments mm-hmm. happen all the time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> In fact, when my wife and I are on the hill, uh, we're just praying for divine appointments, and God gives them to us over and over and over again. And the influence... <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the few minutes or a few hours that you spend mm-hmm. in talking with those people have far-reaching effects. Uh, I was talking about Robert Sutton, first lady she sat down, he sat down and talked with. She was a, a Democrat. And after he got through talking to her, she said, well, you know what? My whole attitude towards pastors has completely changed. You're Amazing. really nice people. Yeah. Time went on. He continued to talk to people. The speaker pro temp came to him and said, how would you like it if we passed a pastor's protection act yeah. so that pastors could not be sued? We'll just take the corporations out. It'll be just for pastors. Brother Sutton said, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so when the Democrats caucused, this woman that he had befriended just mm-hmm. by going in and praying with her stood up and said, you know, we need to do this for our pastors. You've seen them. You've seen Robert Sutton. He's bringing other pastors in. They're praying for us. Mm -hmm. They're nice people. We need to do this. First state in the union that passed a Pastors Protection Act. So pastors have no fear of being sued by anyone in a cultural sense Mm -hmm. that would try to come in and try to entrap them by, quote, unquote, saying, well, you're discriminatory or whatever the case may be because they're protected. Right. And now that same thing's being attempted to be replicated in other states. And some people on the Hill, they've never come in contact with a Baptist preacher in their whole life, and they've gone to some liberal secular university, and people like you and I are nothing but homophobe, bigot, hate mongers. So they meet a real one. It's kind of like you know meeting Sasquatch or something like this. And we disprove... (laughs) Exactly. What they have been taught. Their preconceived notions. Yeah, pastors are not as terrible of people as I thought that they were. Yes. And uh, the very fact that you uh, talk to them about the Lord and you pray with them, um, they, I believe, they know your position on a lot of different issues just by the mere fact of, of your reverence for God. Right. And I, I think that, you know, the, the fact that you're praying with them, uh, they're going to look look to these pastors for influence. Like, Pastor, what do you think about this? What do you right. think about that? Right. And then uh, what people don't realize, too, we talk about the phone calls and, you know, um, Brad Cranston talked to, you know, talk about his state there. But um, for a U.S. senator, for some an issue to get on his radar, you know, he asked his senator, how many phone calls would it take? He said, eh, to get on the radar, 10. Yep. 
And, and so there's an influence vacuum there. And Brad actually asked his senator that question mm-hmm. after I had told him years before what I, and I think, you know, of course, Brad's one of these guys that tests sure. the metal. I am so, too, yeah. Yeah. So, so he, I don't think, I think yeah. in disbelief. Right, sure. He went and asked and, and got the same question yeah. answered in the same way. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, years ago, and something that I always told Brad, in fact, Brad Cranston, um, it was one of my first meetings when I was just first starting out. Mm. And uh, he caught some of the truth of what I was saying. Yeah. And of course, now he's been greatly used, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. in, in Iowa yeah. and what he's done there and in the state capital initiative that he, you know, he's basically h- helping is, other pastors he's in other states other pastors, uh, sure. connect with yeah. their leaders on yeah. uh, at their own capitals. Exactly. And um, I think it was you that was saying, we were talking the other day, uh, and if things continue the way that they are, that the United States is going to be kind of like the UK and the fact that there'll be different regions of the country and uh, different freedoms and different regions yeah. uh, there. And so, but, um, you know, grassroots, and I've heard this said and expressed that really Christians need to be involved. They need to get on their school boards. Oh, yeah. They need to oh, um, yeah. local politics. It needs to start there. Yes. Uh, and, you know, cream rises to the top, and so does scum. Yep. And usually it starts in the regional area and works its way up. Atwater, California, Rich Miller, pastoring, not a big church, mm-hmm. but very vibrant. Mm-hmm. He started going to his city council meetings. Spend an hour mm-hmm. going, listening, and then every once in a while talking. Well, it is a beautiful little agricultural, very conservative area of California, Atwater. Mm-hmm. Not a big town, but beautiful and peaceful. Well, they started to think about cultivating cannabis. Hold on one second. Man, I have never in my life had problem with that. Testing. There you go. I'm okay. Back. Yeah. So, odd. okay. But in any case, the mayor wasn't even there, but they were thinking about cultivating cannabis. Well, Pastor Miller stood up and said it's wrong morally, fiscally, and he went right down through the line. And then he sat down and he left. And the mayor said, I wasn't there, but I was watching on live stream. Yeah. He said, I'm the one that was the proponent to bring cannabis. And after listening to what you said, it's not going to happen. Change his mind. <clears throat> Change his mind. So one pastor, one hour, like every couple of weeks, yeah. kept that little sleepy Community. city mm-hmm. beautifully protected mm-hmm. just simply by, well, in Kentucky, um, Chris Fugit, he's a pastor, mm-hmm. and there's six other pastors besides him that are state legislators. Yeah. We'll say that takes away from the ministry. No, no. No. It, it adds to the ministry. Right. It's part of the ministry. And a lot of times people say, I just don't see that. Do you understand we wouldn't even have a country if it wasn't for the one pastor among the 56 men that were there to sign the Declaration of Independence? Yeah. They were going to submit it without a signature. Mm-hmm. He stood up and said, gentlemen, every man, now he says, of course, it's a long speech. I'm not going to go through the whole rendition, but the crux of it was if every man doesn't strain every nerve to sign that document, you are unworthy of the name free man. He was an old man at this time, gray hair. He said, these gray hairs must soon descend to the sepulcher, but I would infinitely rather that they descend there by the hangman's noose than to desert the sacred cause of this my country. He signed, and then other guys came up and started signing. We would have never had the freedom of the pulpit nor the miracle that is America had it not been for God using that pastor at that time in that room to encourage the other founders to do what they did. Absolutely. And, and pastors used to look at um, their role in the community as like their whole community was their parish and they were responsible and, yes. and they were to educate their community as to far as what God wanted. Right. And I think we have really um, circled the wagons instead of, um, you know, just going out into the darkness the way that we're supposed to. Yeah. And I uh, really storm in the gates of hell. And because we've circled the wagons, now states are having to circle the wagons mm-hmm. against the federal government. Right. Because we've not encouraged people, educated people, and then basically enlightened them in the fact, if you don't vote, 
then don't complain. Mm -hmm. And I think I told your people uh, the other night, we went from 18%, couldn't even get 18, more than 18% of Christians to go vote in elect in electoral cycles for presidential races. Yeah. Up to 2016. Yeah. We went from 18% to 81%. Yes. And the reason why? I think pastors started really getting it and understanding. Let me ask you, do you think that they were motivated by Trump or they were motivated by Hillary to vote against her? I think they were motivated by the party platform. Yes. Tell us about the party platform. This is an amazing story. Party platform is, of the Republicans, the most conservative, biblically-based platform in the history of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Now, Ryan's Priebus um, initially was compartmentalizing his faith from his political life. And he literally kind of put it out there. Let me let me tell the folks something about Rance. He was speaking at the group up there in Washington, speaking to a bunch of pastors. Yeah. Uh, and he rebuked the pastors. I really highly respected him. But he says, you know, I'm going to these churches, it's like uh, roller coasters and cotton candy. And he says, and then, you know, these pastors don't make a stand in their church, but they want me to make a stand on Capitol Hill that they're not willing to make behind their pulpit. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I thought, amen, brother. That's, that was spot on, huh? Yeah. 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 So um, previous to that, and of course, we're going back a few years from that mm-hmm. speech to our pastors there, he put out, we don't need Christians back in the Republican Party to get back to the White House. Now, we had our first big event, put the uh, Robert Aiken Bible, which was a Bible printed by Robert Aiken but approved and actually allocated by the Congress, Mm -hmm. okay? It's paid for by the Congress. Well, it wasn't paid for. No, okay. But it was basically voted that he could do that, that he needed to do that, that he needed to put out the Bible Mm -hmm. to the American people, Mm -hmm. and especially to those that had fought Mm -hmm. as a thank you. And so that was one of the first things that Congress did talk about, throwing out the concept of, you know, separation of church and state. Uh-huh. Well, that's our foundations right there. Yeah. It is the state stays out of the church, mm-hmm. but the church never stays out of the state as far as the individuals of the church. So in any case, um, we had that big event. And so he basically was sent a letter from a pastor that I know that said, that is the only way you're going to get back into the White House if you go after people of faith to get back to the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. You'll never get back otherwise. And he listed a bunch of reasons. Well, to Ryan's, pre- uh, Ryan's previous credit, he believed that. And he literally telephoned that pastor and said, I'm going to be flying out to apologize to you in person. Get every pastor you can get together. I'll apologize to them. And I'm doing something unprecedented. I'm going to hire a faith liaison for the Republican Party. Yeah. And he's going to fly out with me. Mm-hmm. And so he did. And then he found out about what we had done on Capitol Hill. He said, go meet with this group and see what they say. And so we were sitting there, and Chad Connolly, good guy, uh, said— He hey, was appo- the appointee, He right? was the appointee. He yes, was the faith liaison. Chad Connolly. What can we get—how can we get the people— specifically you, I'm an independent Baptist, back to the table. I said, you really want to know? He said, yeah. I said, what are you going to do with the information? He said, I'm going to go right next door and tell Ryan's previous. This was at the Capitol Hill Club at a breakfast meeting. I said, okay, we're at the table. He said, excuse me? I said, independent Baptists are pro-life, pro-family, traditional family, pro-Second Amendment, pro-free market, pro-Israel, we are pro-Constitution. It's the Republicans that are drifting away from the table, mm-hmm. trying to placate mm-hmm. the anti-Semitics, the, the, the people that are against the Jews, the abortionists, the LGBTQ, mm-hmm. the gun control people, the socialists. I said, what you need to do is understand something. You do that, you'll never get back to the White House again because all you will be is a bad imitation of the very party you're trying to defeat. Right. He went, you don't mince words, do you? (laughs) I said, independent Baptist. I said, this is what you need to do. Take a hard right. Take a, the harder, the hardest right you've ever taken Mm -hmm. against all of those things. Well, time goes on. 
Here comes the party platform, 26 pages. I showed to my wife. She said, who's been listening to you preach? I said, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And so we did a comparison, mm -hmm. okay? And I showed it to Chad Conley. He said, hey, you know what? I like yours better than anybody's. Can we put it on our website? I said, sure, go ahead. Mm -hmm. And then we did a conference call later on, and this is what he said. He said, uh, first of all, I, I said, thank you very much for that platform because this is really going to help pastors. Right. Helped their people. Okay, we had beautiful printouts before the 2016 election yeah. of the party platform. Yeah. So, hey, you can't vote for the man, vote for the party. Exactly. Don't vote for, don't for, don't vote for the person. Yeah, person vote for the platform. You, vote for the platform. Mm -hmm. That helped a huge amount mm -hmm. of pastor and mm -hmm. people. So he said everything that you all asked for that, that morning, we got. I said everything we asked for. He said, yeah, everything you asked for. Amazing. So I know it's God. Mm -hmm. I give him all the credit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, isn't it wonderful that a nobody putting themselves, their life in God's hand can do some beyond extraordinary, yes. some miraculous yeah. things, Amazing supernatural influence. things. And so, and that's what, you know, any, any Christian can have that same influence. You stand in the gap that's and it. do your part. And there is a huge gap oh. there. Yeah, on every at every state capital, yeah, uh, and at the nation's capital, and yep. Christians need to step up and fill in and decide they're going to be a Daniel, they're going to be an Esther, and go to that strange, uh, strange land uh, there in D.C. <laughs> you know, hey, another so another big role that you have in churches is educating them. Oh yeah, on their country, <clears throat> mm -hmm. and uh, you know, most people, I think it was Rush Limbaugh always used to say that uh, people don't know history past the time they were born. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I think that's very, very true in America. And so you, you go around and, and, um, and talk about the, the roots of America and how America was birthed, how right. she was born, yeah. the foundation that was laid, how that uh, men of God influenced uh, it, these founders. Even if they weren't Christians, they were influenced by the Bible and Profoundly. influenced by men of God. Yeah. yeah. It's fun because one of the first things that I always say is, <clears throat> do you realize we woke up in a miracle? Mm -hmm. this morning the miracle called the united states of america mm -hmm. and, and you understand most people don't get that most people don't understand our nation is miraculous in its foundation mm -hmm. we shouldn't have won the war for independence no way we could have ever been able to win the war right against yeah. the greatest military in the world didn't even have a navy and in fact the whole world laughed when we signed the declaration of independence. How dare those upstart colonists think that they're going to go up against their mother country. But what they didn't understand was that we were doing something that Israel did when they basically were enslaved. Exodus. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They were delivered from the tyranny of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Our founders were biblically based people. Right. And they said, if God could deliver the nation of Israel from the tyranny of Egypt, I believe they all believed, and this was each one of them saying it individual, we believe that God could deliver the people of America from the tyranny of Great Britain mm -hmm. because we're on God's side. And rebellion to tyranny is obedience, obedience to, God. to God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they went back to 1 Samuel chapter 8 because a lot of times I've actually heard from some brethren, I mean, actual pastors, oh, we should have never rebelled. We should have never had a revolution. Don't you know, you know, God's the king, and he set up that thing. I said, brother, and I try to be as kind as I can, you need to read First Samuel chapter 8 mm -hmm. because the monarchy was plan B. Mm -hmm. Plan A right. was a multi-layered representational government called a republic that they had under a theocracy. Now, right. we're not a theocracy. They, they were just executing God's laws. Yeah. Yeah. We're not a theocracy, but we're mm. not a democracy either. No. We're a republic. No. Because Israel was a republic. Yeah. And I said, and they had a king even before yeah. Saul. Yeah. Their king was Jehovah. Yeah. It, and they overthrew him. <laughs> yes. And they got a man. And what they said was, it's, it's profound to me what our founding fathers realized because they looked at Samuel taking it personally mm -hmm. and then God saying, they didn't reject you. They rejected me, but warned well, them. In, in the Bible, in the, the books of Moses were their constitution. 
Yeah. Now, our Constitution was the principles in the Constitution are highly drawn from Scripture. Right. And founded in Scripture. So, like, I think through COVID, a lot of people say, well, Romans 13 and, you know, obey that. And, well, this is a constitutional republic, right. and I have a duty as a citizen of this republic that if the government is doing something against my constitutional rights, I should follow the Constitution. That's right. And, um, th- you know, th- and that's, that's what our revolutionaries understood. Right. And when you say that, our Constitution's Bible-based. Mm-hmm. And it goes to the scripture where, of course, the religious leaders said, didn't we charge you not to preach in this man's name? Right. And what did they say? We, we would obey God rather than man. Mm-hmm. And so that is what we do right. when we stand up. Mm-hmm. And yes, Romans 13 is the model, the perfect model of government. Right. But when people put government above God, it becomes an idol. Right. And behind every idol is a demon. And it goes quickly from Romans 13 to Revelation to Revelation 13 in sure. the beast. Sure. The yeah, beast. absolutely. Yeah. So you're so we're Christians first and we're obedient to God first. Yeah. Then secondly, we're American citizens and this is a constitutional republic and the constitution is our our government governing document. Uh, so if I have a um, a governor who is a essentially taking over dictatorial roles, I think I have an obligation to my children, my children's children, and to this country uh, to stand up against tyranny. That's right. You do. Yeah. And it is. It is something that uh, we need to understand. It goes far beyond, quote, unquote, the mandates. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, These mandates, these executive orders that the president is signing, are not constitutional. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the Constitution says that all law-giving powers, all legislative powers herein are vested in a Congress. Right. Okay? And I've and, even had six-year-olds. Our, our legislature is not doing its job no. anymore, and it hasn't no. done it for probably 20 years. Yeah, and I've asked six, six-year-olds if all law, law-giving powers are given to the Congress, how much is left over for the other two branches? None. And, None. and they're the ones who are <clears throat> making the laws. Exactly. Executive so and legislative branch are um, making the laws nowadays. The everyone's bound down the, to the judiciary. Yeah. Wait a minute. It's just their opinion. No. Right. And, and so they have no law giving powers. They just basically in their bailiwick, they have an opinion whether or not that particular law is constitutional. And then the president, he makes sure the laws are executed. Mm-hmm. He doesn't ever sign an executive order unless in, it's an extreme catastrophic uh, challenge against our country. And I'm talking about from an outside source. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These executive orders, and by the way, by the way, not just this pres- this this man that calls himself president mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. but going all the way back to Eisenhower. Right. None of them should have signed any executive no. orders. Because when you start that down that slippery slope, where does it end? I think, you know, it, our, our model there was uh, George Washington when he handed in his sword. Yes. And, uh, and so, yeah, you have... Yeah, you have these presidents that came came in, and of course we loved it when Trump had had the pen and the, the phone, um, but we didn't like when Obama had the pen and the phone. No, and now uh, President Biden to or be whoever the, he works for, yeah, uh, <laughs> whoever his handlers are, I uh, have a pen and a phone. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he even he even says himself that he's not the president. So you know, <laughs> That's exactly I mean, so right. it, it makes no difference if I if I yeah. also agree with him. Yes, you are not. Yeah the president in any way, shape, or form. Right. But in any case, when we look at things like this, we need to understand from a biblical, constitutional, historical standpoint that any time that any government puts itself above God, I mean, quickly, it starts to attack God. Mm-hmm. It's a, oh, an oh, affront yeah. to and, God. Absolutely. His book, his people. Here, here in our state, our former governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, of course, he had to exit office, and I, I, you know, I kind of, he got thrown under the bus by his own party. They waited till after the election, and sure. then they wanted to get rid of him. And then <laughs> uh, there was a lot of people said, "Oh, you know, he's getting, you know, he's getting his comeuppance." I said, "You be careful what you wish for, because uh, he's a moderate, probably compared to whoever will take his place." Yeah. Uh, and so he said, I remember during the uh, the pandemic, of course, you know, he killed 15,000 older people, but no one cares about that. They do care that he like hugged uh, 
these women or whatever he did. Uh, so, so anyway, so he said, looked in the camera, one of his meetings, he said, God didn't flatten a curve. We did. And, um, careful. So you think that's bad. Now we got the new gal. She gets behind a pulpit on a Sunday. Uh, and she says, I, I wear this around my neck. And typically, most good people in America, especially politics, they're going to wear a cross around their neck. It represents their faith, their religion. Well, her faith and her religion is in the vaccine. So she carries and wears around her neck every single day her proof of vaccination there around her neck. And she said, we know that God wants you to get this vaccine, but some people aren't listening to God. But I know that you, talking to the audience, you listen to God and I need you to be my apostles. So I guess, I don't know if she's Jesus yeah, or whatever. Uh, but again, yeah, you see these um, tyrannical governors, and they are attacking God himself yes. and people like you and me who um, submit to God first. Right. Government is down the pike. Yes. Uh, government's after God. Right. We are actually the enemy. Yeah, we are. And we're becoming more and more so. Right. You think about this. Three institutions that God's ordained. First one is the family. Mm-hmm. Second one is government. Mm-hmm. Third is the church. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what a lot of people don't get. Government's never neutral. It'll either protect and promote the traditional family in the church or to punish and prosecute the traditional family in the church. Right. It all depends on how much we stay connected with government. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we have these God haters and these people that say, well, I know God wants you to get this vaccine. Not the God I serve. <laughs> no. Not the God I serve. Yeah. Now, she may be talking about a God, but it's a false God. Sure, sure. <clears throat> and she may be talking to her apostles, but they're apostles from hell. Yeah, right. They're not apostles right. from, from God. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's not one vaccine still today that is FDA approved in America. And it just gives me kind of cause for pause yeah when a united states senator says hey um by the way um the fda did a bait and switch because they approved a vaccine but that vaccine is not even available in the united states so i'm not going to criticize someone for getting a vaccine yeah or not getting a right. vaccine and it's scary because let's walk a fine line here i we had a medical doctor here on this podcast yeah. and uh he also happens to be a pastor a very smart guy uh he's a smart medical doctor i mean he's up there uh yeah and he started talking about all this and soon as this was uploaded to youtube it immediately got pulled really uh, oh man and so they have that algorithm out there and it is uh you know thought control yes nowadays. it is very yeah. interesting it is interesting and that's why i'm thinking oh we're walking a fine line here talking about this well Ooh. i mean it's it's yeah. basically what your governor said yeah and what we think about what your governor said yeah and you know? oh yeah absolutely so i mean hey you know again it is everyone's choice right but do your homework uh, yeah that's all i'm saying just absolutely. do your homework absolutely you know absolutely but, but our country when you look at our country you think about this very interestingly when you see our founding fathers they got a negative education from 1 Samuel 8 mm-hmm. because what the people said in 1 Samuel, we no longer want this system, mm-hmm. judge the judges. Mm-hmm. We want a man to rule over us. Right. We want a king, a man. They're, yeah, they're replacing God with a king. Yep. To go out and fight our battles. Yeah. To rule over, to judge us. Right. Wait a minute, who was their king up to that point? It was Jehovah. It was God. And so they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. Right. And so what they wanted, they wanted more government. And you see a lot of you see a lot of Christians that, that want that. They think that, oh, you know, um, yeah, yeah. And they're because, leaning towards socialism. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of what I would consider good evangelicals were really wishy washy during this last election and weren't taking a stand. Now I don't I don't appreciate uh, you know President Trump's crudeness or his foul mouth or his vitriol. I remember that um, that uh, you know woman they were accusing him of that um, that. Uh, you know, he tweeted out that he called her horse face. I know. And I thought, you know, like a sitting president, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so he it's, was a lewd, crude dude with a yeah. bad attitude. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, you know, but he was uh, he was keeping us free to worship God. Yeah. And I don't need, uh, I don't need a, you know, a nice 
guy. Um, I need someone who's going to stand up, stand up to the tyrants because there's tyrants everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And you think of, you know, again, and you go back to what the people of Israel said, we want to be like all the rest of the nations. And then you go to our founding fathers who said in the declaration of independence, we no longer want to be like all the rest of the nations Mm -hmm. because the whole world was a monarchy. Right. In one shape or another. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, no, no. We are once again going to make the sovereign of man's souls right. the sovereign of a country. And we will have no sovereign but Jehovah and no king but King Jesus. That's right. an amazing thing what they did. And they knew that, uh, you know, it's like Benjamin Franklin who said, uh, we've given you a republic if you can keep it. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, John Adams and others talking about how this government is designed for a moral people. And so it had to be a people who were governed by God. And therefore, if they were governed by God, they would need less government. Yeah. Uh, the more people are ruled by the flesh and by the kingdom of darkness, the more government they're going to need to control their own behavior. Exactly. One of the guys said, we will either be governed by the Bible or the sword. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that's that's who we are. Yeah. And that's who we need to remember as these people saying, yeah, socialism, we want to be like all the rest of the world. No, we don't. Our nation is the greatest nation on earth at uh-huh, this time. Uh-huh. The greatest nation in modern history. Right. And the reason why is because our founders said we no longer want to be like all the rest of the nations. Well, it's it's kind of, it's the it's the human nature. It's like uh, you know God put Adam and Eve in a pretty nice place. Yeah. And the devil comes along. God has not been good to you. Yeah. If you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's and that's where we're at. Uh, so you're so you are an educator. And, uh, you know, I've been on the tours in Washington, D.C., the Capitol Building, and it's just uh, amazing to follow you along and uh, you just telling the history of our nation's capital. Uh, and I know that you're, um, an, you know, an avid reader, and so we wanted to talk a little bit about books. Oh, yeah. And uh, love we books. like books. Oh, and, I love books. Um, yeah. Uh, so my the, wife says you don't need any more books. I said, I know I don't need any more, but I want more. If there was a bookaholics, I'd have to join. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, uh, yeah, our poor wives. I'm the same way. I think you know, I, I, I'm, I'm usually, and I've done for years, usually a book a week, uh, but unfortunately, I buy like three books a week. You know, so uh, yeah, my, yeah. my eyes ex- exceed my stomach when it, when it, um, when it comes to books. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your reading habits. Well, you know, Doctor John Witherspoon said. It's, there's no problem in not finishing a book, but have at least seven going mm-hmm. at all times. Yeah. And because it's wonderful to be able to just read a variety of things. Right. And uh, I, I love reading because you jump in to many times history. I have old books going back to mm-hmm. 1600s, 1700s. I have old messages that I read mm-hmm. where, I mean, it's like going back into time. Right. And I get immersed in what I'm reading. And not only that, I realized the history of books in our country, mm-hmm. history of books in the world. Yeah. You know, you had a library and your whole life, if you were in the upper class, so to speak, was to add to your library. Right. And then you would With give your, your wealth library. And you give it to your children. Your child. and, and they were rich. And they, rich. W- they would be wealthy, not just monetarily, yeah. but they would be wealthy in knowledge. Right. Well, you know, I was telling the story last night about Wycliffe copying out the Bible. Right. And the and the dawning star of, you know, the Reformation. Yeah. yeah. And, and how he copied out into to the uh, common man's language. And even people that couldn't read wanted at least a page mm-hmm. and would literally starve themselves and half starve their families to get one page of the Bible mm-hmm. and then think themselves wealthy because they had one page that had been copied out from, Amazing. Well, yeah. And now we have, you know, I mean, the, the, print, books. the printing press was oh. the greatest thing and, of, you know, all, of any invention of uh, mankind. I agree. And your yeah. honest Gutenberg mm-hmm. carving his initial in that little block of wood. And Christian people have always been learned people. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, in our 
modern day, and this is a big fallacy, a big farce, that if you're Christian, you're not intellectual. Actually, it's a complete opposite. Exactly. Uh, you know, you, you go back before the Reformation and the printing of Bibles, you go into darkness. Yes. And uh, Christianity, and any Christian people, any missionary goes to foreign field, uh, what's the first thing that they do when they get to these tribes is they teach the people how to read. Exactly. Yeah. Copernicus and Sir Isaac Newton, those two men and their theories, which are now facts, mm-hmm. have contributed more to the space age than any two men in history. Mm-hmm. And both of those men were devout Christians. Yes. In fact, Sir Isaac Newton, he was looked upon as, you know, a quote unquote scientist, but he also was a tremendous theologian. Yes. So the theological students mm-hmm. would come comments. to ask him right. yeah, the he, tough questions. Right. And he wasn't even worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, when I read, uh, I, I like to read quickly and yet read completely. Mm-hmm. I'm not a speed reader, mm-hmm. but I do know, and this I hope will help some people, if they are not enjoying reading a book, put it's it down because, and get a different book. Yeah. Or they don't really know how to read. And then they'll set that book aside because you might be able to come back to it. Yeah. But but sometimes it's that they don't really know how to read as Mm -hmm. good as they should. Because most people fixate on one or two words at a time. Right. And then they regress. Mm -hmm. And how does that word fit into the truth or the thought of that sentence? But you can train yourself to fixate on three and four words Mm-hmm. within just a few weeks mm-hmm. and that way you bounce across the page you don't regress and here's another thing that i found that i love to do there's two types of readers there's a passive and an active reader mm-hmm. i think everyone will confess that they've read a whole page and got to the bottom bible reading right and where did i go yeah you, you get i mean the, i read the every end, word get in the end of the chapter and you think I didn't read it. I read it, but I didn't. I didn't, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it's passive, but what we can do is we can change a subheading, mm-hmm. or if there's no subheading or chapter heading that we can change into a question, we can ask ourselves questions. Mm-hmm. Is there a commandment to follow? Is there a warning to heed? Mm-hmm. Is there a direction that they're going? And when we ask simple questions that the great divines did of yesteryear, mm-hmm. Our comprehension will go through skyrocket. Oh yeah, yeah. And I always think you read with either pen in hand or a highlighter in hand, yeah. and uh, you take ownership over that page. And then also the speed readers, people who really absorb uh, books, they feel the book. So yeah. if you know if you're reading about Paul Revere in the Midnight Ride, you're on that horse oh, with yeah. him, <laughs> going in the middle of the night, and you're, yeah. you're crying out. Yeah. Uh, and you will absorb and you will remember because you felt it. You yeah. were there. You yeah. experienced. And be careful what you read, too. I mm-hmm. don't read historians mm-hmm. very often at mm-hmm. all. I'll read David McCullough because he's, he's yeah, I love, very I, I love honest. Him. I've read everything that yeah. he writes. Yeah, because yeah. he goes from the original source documents. Yeah. yeah I, he, I read the original source documents. Yeah, he, when his, his book on John Adams, he read every single correspondence that John Adams ever wrote and also the response, which was like tens of thousands. Yes. He said he knew John Adams better than he knew himself. <laughs> By just, the time at the end of that, just, he, he said somebody would write him a letter, yeah. and he knew how he was going to respond <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just between him and his wife, there was 1,150-plus letters. Wow. Just between him and Abigail. Yeah. And, in fact, I did a couples retreat one time. I told the pastor, I don't do couples retreats. He said, yeah, but I want you to do ours. I said, yeah, uh, I don't do those. I've never done one. I don't think I'm going to do it. He said, yeah, yeah, you're going to do it for me. I'm your friend. You're going to do it for me. I went, really? You're not going to just let me out? He said, no, I'm not going to let you out. Well, okay. And so I went, you know what I did? I did a synopsis of John and Abigail. That's awesome. That they had a sustaining love because they were separated Mm -hmm. for years. He's ambassador to France trying to raise money for the revolution. And during the war and all. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, not, not a sustaining love, just alone. They had a sacrificial love because they preferred one another, and yeah. he would listen to her. Yeah, absolutely. During a time where women were not educated, she was brilliant, and, and he and, would uh, listen. And Thomas Jefferson him. also held her in high esteem. He did. He yeah, did. he would counsel her about different, like, you know, oh, yeah. bounce deep ideas off of her. So if I had yeah. ever done anything, any conference where the Lord just took over, yeah, it was that conference. Wow. Because people were... Now, they weren't betting, but they were saying, okay, what's the third one going to be? Because <laughs> uh-huh. it, it was sacrificial. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was sustaining. It's what's this third one? <laughs> and so the, in fact, the pastor said, 
I, I have a little something going on with my wife, and, and she says it's this, and I say it's this. So can you tell me what it is? I said, yeah, it's spiritual. He went, I win. <laughs> I said, well, that's kind of nice having that excitement, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so when we read the original source documents, mm -hmm. when you read Paul Revere's journal, mm -hmm. you realize he didn't ride through the town crying the British are coming. Yeah. And everyone I say that to, they say, well, that's what our history book. No, no, that's what the poem says. <laughs> right. That's not what the history book everybody says. Everybody memorized the poem. The poem. As if it was gospel. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't. He was on a clandestine yeah. mission yeah. because two-thirds of the populace were against the colonists mm -hmm. who became patriots, mm -hmm. who became the Continental Army. Yeah. So he wrote, and he wrote to one man's house. Yeah. And we used to know who this guy was, Jonas Clark. Mm -hmm. And everyone looks at me with, again, this bewildering look, who's Jonas Clark? I said, well, let me just tell you a story. Because the British were coming for our weapons and stores of ammo, but also to kill two men, John Hancock, who signed his name nice and large yeah. on the Declaration of Independence, knowing the king needed reading glasses that he didn't always have with him. And then secondly, Samuel Adams, that was the originator of the first Tea Party. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They wanted both of those men killed on sight. And Paul Revere when he rode to Lexington Concord area, he knew where those two men were going to be. So he rode right to that house. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, walked in, three men were there, John Hancock, Samuel Adams, and a man by the name of Jonas Clark. He told them, the British are on the move. I saw the two lanterns in the old North church. Right. And John and Sam, they're after your heads. Neither one of those men said anything. They looked to their host and they said, are your people ready? And Jonas Clark said, yes, my people are ready. My men are ready. I've been preparing them for just this day. Pastor Jonas Clark. A pastor whose men were the hundred-plus minute men that walked down on Lexington Green and faced off 800 regulars from his bell tower. They got the alarm. Mm -hmm. They got ready in 60 seconds mm -hmm. and were out there. The British swore at them. I mean, yelled at them, lay down your arms, you rebels. And their commander said, remember what our pastor said to you. Don't fire first because God will bless a war of defense much more than a war of offense. But if they mean to have a war, let it begin here. And you know the story? Shot heard around the world. Yeah, from the British. And it began the war for independence mm -hmm. because of a pastor. Yeah. And so many other pastors that led their men into battle as units. They became from a congregation to a unit in the Continental Army. Yeah, yeah, and they would. Um, so there was a lot of uh, pastors who were also officers because they brought their congregation with them. Yeah, and so yeah. therefore they were an officer. <laughs> they came an officer immediately, like John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg. Uh -huh. You know, preaching from his black robe and pulls it back, talking about Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. season for everything. And now's the season for war. How many of you men will join me? Yeah. Formed the Eighth Continental Regiment. Became one of sixteen major generals. Was with George Washington when he received the surrender from the British. Eight years later said, I'm not going to preach from this pulpit again. His brother, Frederick, in New York, right here in this state, uh, chides him. Yeah, thought says, he was you're, crazy. You're a shepherd of a flock. You shouldn't be losing your flock to go and fight. He writes his brother back. I remember another shepherd left his flock because there was uncircumcised Philistine mm -hmm. defying the armies of the living God. Is there not a cause? Frederick saw the British march in burn and ransack his church, wrote his brother back and said, I'm wrong, you're right, I'm in the fight. And he became, Frederick, became the first speaker of the House of Representatives. Wow. His painting wow. still stands. Mm -hmm. It still hangs there yeah. as you walk into the floor of the house, as we've done in the After Hours yeah. Tours. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so you have some recommended reading for people who they want to know about our founding, they want to know about our country. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have anything off the top of your head you can recommend? There are several things. The first part of a book called The Christian Life and Character of the Civil Institutions of the United States by B.F. Morris. I know that's a mouthful, mm -hmm. but B.F. Morris, remember mm -hmm. that? And the, it's how our institutions actually were formed because of the Christian character of the people of this country. For instance, Britain in their navy, when we began to formulate our navy, they said, well, look, 
if you are in battle and you disobey direct command, you are flogged to death the next day. So that works pretty good for the British. We need to do that too. And someone stood up and said, no, we can't do that. Well, why not? Because we are a Christian nation and God says we can only whip someone 40 times safe. One. So we, yeah. 39 so, times. So 39 times. So we can't do that. And they went, oh, yeah, that's right. And so we, I mean, just time after time, yeah. one thing after another after another, the, the triform of our government, no one's ever put that in writing before. We got that from Isaiah 33 and verse 22. Separation of powers. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Mm-hmm. Checks and balances. Right. Okay. Multi-layered representational government. Mm-hmm. Exodus 18 and verse 21. Talks about national, state, city, right. community. It even gives you a litmus test of who are the people that we vote for. Able yeah. men such as fear God. Yeah. Men of truth hating covetousness. So all of these things that our nation's based upon are all biblical, and that book is about that. Okay. And then all of the political incorrect, politically incorrect series, I love those. Yeah. yeah the, P, the, the PIG the, series, Politically Incorrect Guides. Oh, yeah. And um, right now, let's talk, tell them, Brother Harding, that on, if you have an Audible account, um, they're all free. Yeah. Oh, they're great. You can download them and listen to them. They're absolutely outstanding. They're excellent. The, yeah. the real heroes. And then there's some... Older books that I would recommend when you look at our history. Uh, I love um, Burke Davis, who's a writer of the men and the situations of the war between the states, Mm -hmm. which is very, very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love books like um, written by our founders, like the one that I recommended to you, Passing the Torch to the Next Generation. That's that's a a one-of-a-kind book that actually this wealthy man during the founding era got printed for himself, mm-hmm. gave to his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Now it's back in print. Amazing. Because this man was about to, and a Christian man, isn't that interesting? His great-great-grandfather was a born-again Christian, and he was as well. And so he writes, who was the head of this Christian organization at the time, Gary DeMar, the grave holds no fear for me. But what does hold great burden and care, in so many words, is the freedom of our country, Please publish this and get it out into the hands of people. So passing the torch to the to a new generation, and it's a compilation of patriotic sermons. Yes, right from yesteryear. Yes, the men that lived it. Right, contemporaries of Washington, Jefferson. And the, and the fascinating thing about reading a book that is written um, hundreds of years ago is uh, it gets you out of your own world into the world of another, and then also you you realize that uh, the the struggles that they went through hundreds of years ago are the same struggles that we go through today. It I, is. I was reading I was reading a book um, actually it was about Mormonism, um, <laughs> but it, but it was talking about the Burnover District which we're in Burnover yeah. Region. Yeah, and we had a lot of cults. Um, uh, you know, Seventh-day Adventists, the Mormons, we had uh, the Fox Sisters, spiritualism. But I was reading that in 1800, only 20% of Christians went to church before the first or the second Great Awakening. Yeah. So there was a spiritual um, decline well, big much. time in our country oh, yes. uh, during that time. And so you think that, wow, well, we're in a, our country's never been like it is today. Well, you know, in some ways, yes, but in some ways, absolutely not. We were about to fall apart. Yeah. Really were. Yeah. Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. That began our nation. Mm-hmm. Starting in the 1600s. Bled over a little bit to the 1700s. Second Great Awakening, 200 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God is the God of threes. Yes. So it's been 200 years since Second Great Awakening. So let's have another one. Hello. Yeah. We need to be praying for it. Right. If we want one, if we desire one, if we yearn for it, we burn for it. Mm-hmm. If we ask God to turn us towards it, mm-hmm. that's how we're going to get a third great right. awakening. Right. It starts right here in our hearts individually. Right. But we need to be praying and, about and, it. And you're given that hope when you're reading history and you see and you read about the spiritual decline. Uh, like in our area, you know, uh, jo- you know, Joseph Smith was a, uh, he used these seer stones and he was a, like essentially a necromancer and looking for a hidden treasure and yada, yada, conned a lot of people <laughs> out of their money. Uh, but a lot of people were into spiritualism yeah. at that time period. I mean, they, they were into um, seances and witchcraft and all sorts of nonsense. 
yeah, the Fox sisters were down in Palmyra as well. And, uh, you know, they made tons of money talking to the dead. I mean, thousands of sure. people through their doors. Uh, so it's very spiritually dark time before the second great awakening. Look at the, you might say, popularity, I would suppose, of, of Robert Ingersoll, mm-hmm. the great agnostic. Yeah. I mean, before him, they were printing D.L. Moody's sermons. Right. R.A. Torrey sermons on the front pages of mm-hmm. newspapers. Mm-hmm. They kind of passed off the scene. And Robert Ingersoll, a brilliant, right, very articulate right. speaker, mm-hmm. used humor, satire, to basically put out the agnosticism, right. an intellectual type of thing, and a lot of people started following him. Huge turn from the Bible right. to intellectualism. In my opinion, that's why we have the gap theory. Time sure. to marry evolution with creation. Yes. Okay? Yeah. And some people may want to differ with me on that. That's fine. They can be wrong if they want to. But, <laughs> right, right. But there was a man that wrote a book because he had an encounter with Robert Ingersoll on a train and he was so put to shame of his lack of knowledge of the bible that he wrote a book called ben-hur yeah and ben-hur was a best-selling book and it literally was so well read i mean by so many people that it turned the american people back to the bible again Mm -hmm. because it captured the imagination imagination of people and, you know, like, Lou Wallace. Oh, it was like Uncle, Uncle Tom's Cabin for, yeah. for church, though. Yeah. yeah. Lou Wallace, that's why his statue is in the Capitol as yeah. one of the two yeah. great notable people from his state. And in every generation, they had to, to fight this. Because <clears throat> even during our founding, uh, the most popular book of the revolution was what? Who, who did all the colonists read after? Common Sense. Written by... Thomas Paine, the a notorious atheist. atheist. Yeah. Yeah. Who would not even, look, when he died, they wouldn't even let him be buried in a church cemetery. Yeah. His, the founders said. H- huge infidel, but the most popular writer of the revolutionary time. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. To me, that's crazy. So in every generation. There's some other books okay. to answer your question. How to Read the Constitution and the Declaration by Skozin. Very, very good. A Christianity in the Constitution by John Eidsmore. Excellent. Sermons That Shaped America. Tremendous book. Um, there is, uh, let me give you a couple of others here very, very quickly. Uh, I, I love this one, even though we've mentioned it already. But the Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes. Hmm. Wow, that is amazing. Uh, for you, they signed going back into the makeup of our founding fathers. Um, And so those are some of the historical books. Then, of course, there's a lot of um, present books, The Republic Under Assault by Tom Fitton. Mm -hmm. He's a friend of mine. Good guy. Um, So those are some of the books. You can go on our website also, Mission to America. Mission to America. Dot U.S. Dot U.S. Not dot org, but dot U.S. I have a recommended reading list on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. I've seen it. And yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, they can pull from that also. Mission to America dot US. Yeah, that's a Yeah, website. so go there, recommended reading list. Yep. And then um, also you have a radio show. I, I was going to ask you this. Can, is there any way you can, um, can you text me that, um, can we play that uh, little radio clip? Sure. A two-minute radio clip? Sure, you want for that? For the folks? Yeah, I can I can link right in with my phone. Sure. If you can send that to me. But uh, Brother, Hart, Brother Harding's got a... Um, a two-minute, it's it's great. You guys are going to love it. A two-minute uh, radio broadcast. And um, where where is that going to air at? Uh, it's going to air actually over 1,200 stations. Um, and I think from what they say, uh, it'll be brought into probably 2,000 very quickly mm-hmm. because it's just two minutes uh, that I'm, I'm doing. And... Uh, Let's see here. Here it is. Here, hang on just a second. Get back to it again. Um, I believe this is it. Let's see if. Yeah, here it is. Okay, so I will airdrop this to. Oops. Sorry. Okay. So I will airdrop that to you. Nice. 
And this is an example of the radio program that's going to be starting very shortly called Moment to America. Moment for America, excuse me. Okay. Let me see. The, the technology might uh, exceed my uh, <laughs> ability to play it. Is there any way that you can, you can uh, text that to me? Because it went into some sort of iMovie. Sure, sure. And I, yeah, I, can I text apologize. I'm like... Uh, no, no, it's fine. Here you go. Technologically illiterate. There you go. Okay. Good deal. It's the difference between a republic it. and a democracy. <laughs> Tell, okay, let's see. This is Chuck Harding with a moment for America. Do we live in a republic or a democracy? Even many conservatives refer to our nation as a constitutional democracy. And yet, when we pledge allegiance to our flag, it is to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. Democracy is found nowhere in the Constitution. And yet, Article 4, Section 4, it reads, The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government. Our multi-layered representational government, called the Republic, was fashioned by our founding fathers after the government of Israel, as outlined in Exodus 18 and verse 21. And although we're not a theocracy, neither are we a democracy. A democracy follows the will of the people, so that laws depend upon the inclinations of people and are changed to meet their desires. This leads to mobocracy. A republic is the will of the people tempered by the rule of law, and in our case, God's law. The standard of our civilization must not be based upon the humanity of man, but on the divine laws of God. Without godly principles, the functions of our republic will break down and self-interest will take the place of social order. We must begin to refer to our nation as what it is, a republic, and know what that stands for. Also encourage those who are elected as our representatives to do the same if we hope to bring our nation back to its moorings. This is Chuck Harding. Think about it, America. For more information on this subject and other issues, go to missiontoamerica.us. Sounded awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I think it's going to do some good for sure. And uh, we'll finish it with this. So I say, and I've heard this, and you can finish the statement. So what a democracy is, is two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. And what's a republic? Republic is a well-armed lamb. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and we'll end there, unless you got anything to add before we're done. Just remember that we live in a miracle mm -hmm. and let's protect it for our children and grandchildren. Remember the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Amen. Amen. And uh, you want to hear some great sermons by Brother Harding, visit our uh, website, lbbc.info, and uh, we have them up there, or you can find us there on their YouTube channel, and you can hear some good preaching by Brother Harding. He's in town for a missions conference. So thank you so much, Brother Harding, for thank being you. on today. Thank you, Brother Young. And uh, we'll have you on again. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for listening today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.